Hello and welcome back to the Ireland Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad website. I'm joined by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Sidekick and Philip Flanagan from the Bottomless Pit of Football. And I'm delighted to welcome Jimmy Carew of Pogma Gold for this episode. Uh, we're going to be discussing the three qualifiers that have concluded away to Portugal and two home games against uh, Azerbaijan and Serbia. Guys, uh, it's good to talk to you again. Uh, how, how are you all doing? Very good, Joe. Nice to chat to you again, lads. How are you, lads? How are things? Yeah, likewise. Bit of optimism in the air, is there? <laughs> I feel like there is, yeah. <laughs> and I think that started with the Portugal game. So let's start with that. Going into the game, the narrative around it was obviously Ronaldo breaking the goal-scoring record. And it felt like the entire Portugal setup was geared around him getting that goal and breaking Ali Dai's uh, international men's goal-scoring record. And it felt like just 15 minutes into the game, he was going to do it after an unexpectedly poor pass from Gavin Bizzunu, uh exposed Jeff Hendrick, who had to make a tackle that he shouldn't have had to. But uh, the 19-year-old in goals saved a penalty from, from Ronaldo. And I was thinking even when he was uh, setting up to take the penalty that Bazuno actually has a pretty solid record facing penalties. You know, you look back at, at events in games, things like this that galvanize a team, and suddenly you kind of realize that, like, this Portugal team, even with one of the greatest players in modern football, Ronaldo, they're still beatable. And we weren't overawed by them. And by the end of the first half, you know, we were playing some really good football. And the goal that we scored, now, it's... As basic as it gets, it was a header from a corner by a centre half. But we deserved to score. We probably did deserve to be ahead on balance of play. So, Mark, if we start with you, uh, what did you think of, well, number one, the team that Stephen Kenny put out? And uh, how did you feel at the end of the first half? Yeah, Joel, to be honest, the team selection, just given the squad that he had announced, I didn't have too many qualms, but I was delighted to see Jamie McGrath get a start. We've talked about him enough on this podcast, particularly last season's exploits with Samarin. So definitely, you know, he's getting, and the key was the regular game time, you know, game minutes with clubs and Jamie McGrath has certainly been getting that. Um, as regards to the game, the first half, I suppose we get in the second half in due course, but we started nervous, understandable, being in Faro, and that build up in Portugal, I very felt like a testimonial game to Ronaldo in certain respects. I think maybe the referee will probably touch on a little bit, got into that psyche a little bit as well but we started nervously first 10-15 minutes particularly our passing out from Bazunu to the players outfield it was a bit tentative but after the Bazunu penalty save we definitely warmed to the task um, guys thought Josh Cullen was really solid in centre of the park and then we had Coleman and Doherty really roaming down the midfield flanks because the one thing that Portugal were doing were leaving massive space in that middle third for us to exploit um, and we can say all we want about the corner set piece, but again, that takes training. The run from Egan, the anticipation, you know, the the running lines at the various folks like Shane Duffy, Hendrick, guys like that. It's all paramount. It was a very well worked set piece, and we fully deserved our lead at half time. And really, Adam Eden up front was really kind of leading the line so well with Connolly as well, providing some lovely kind of running lines. Overall, first half, guys, uh, I really was very impressed, and one then was uh, no more than we deserved. Something that went at the time like we all we all felt was maybe going to be the undoing of the team was the early 
injury to Daryl O'Shea with only a little over the first half an hour gone. And it's come out uh, since he's returned to his club, West Brom, that he's going to miss football for the rest of the year. So it's it's going to be the new year before we see him back in action for the Baggies and for the national side. But the silver lining in that cloud was the introduction for uh, his debut of Andrew Omovamid Dilly. And for a 19 year old making your first appearance for your country uh, in an away qualifier against you know a team in the, the top 10 in the world, it's, a, it's about as difficult as it gets. But he did not look out of place by any means. He slotted straight in and looked like he'd been playing football at this level all his life. Phil, first of all, what did you think when you saw Daryl O'Shea go off? And, well, what did you think of uh, the performance of his replacement? Well, obviously disappointed to see O'Shea come off because he is one of our future centre-backs. That's that's a fact. I thought Andrew's performance was brilliant. I thought overall, looking at the, the first 11, I think it's the first time probably Kenny's actually picked the right starting 11, the, the best starting 11 he could pick. It was the perfect balance of senior and youngsters. There was, there was a great balance in defence. We Coleman Doherty, we had Egan, we had Duffy, we had a lot of experience there, and Hendrick, who actually had a good game as well. And then we had enough youth as well. I thought we played really well in the first half. I think fully deserved the goal. I think even Mark touched on it. It was a well-worked goal. Duffy gave Egan the nod to go to the front post and take his man away. You know, that's a, that's something they've looked at. You know, that's something to be proud of. You can see this work going on the training ground there. I thought Matt Doherty was excellent as well. And I thought McGrath was brilliant. Ireland weren't afraid to get on the ball. They weren't afraid, afraid to try anything. I think Bazuna was a bit uh, nervous in the first few minutes. But after 20, fine, great. Go again on the ball, taking his time, not rushed. It was one of the best halves we've played, I think. And I think it's the kind of performance that you know you would hope to see from an Ireland team. And I think maybe for the first time since Slovakia, the manager was getting the performance he wanted from the players that he picked. I definitely agree with you that it's the, the first in recent games where he's been able to pick the starting eleven that he's he wanted to pick. Now, you know, there was one or two players that were unavailable to him for various reasons, and there's probably one or two players that uh, were omitted from the squad. Daryl Shea going off injured turned out to be a blessing in disguise because it meant the introduction of what you know someone who could be playing centre half for us for you know the next fifteen years. But if Kieran Clark had been on the bench or had had started, which would have meant two Premier League centre halves, you know, in defence as opposed to you know one you know just Shane Duffy and the two Championship defenders either side of him. I don't want to get too much into the games that are coming in October now, but I think. Because of the injuries, we probably will see Clark called up in in four weeks' time. But, uh, yeah, I think he got every other choice correct. Jamie McGrath making his his first start didn't look out of place. He's only played a handful of minutes at international level, but, you know, looked like he'd been doing it uh, all his life. And it's possible that he's playing regularly for a team that's playing good football in Scotland. And I think that's, that's definitely part of it as well. We had three players in defence and then five across the middle, which seemed to uh, overwhelm uh, Portugal at times. They couldn't get the ball from midfield to their strikers. And we were good value for that lead at half time. Like every single player worked worked their socks off for that first 45 minutes and going in at half time leading with the minority of possession, which wouldn't be too surprised at. But, you know, we completed 
you know, more than three quarters of the passes that we had attempted. <laughs> we had one shot on target and we scored it. And that's what good teams do to take advantage of their chances. James, if I can come to you, what were your thoughts on that first 45 minutes against Portugal? I thought we were brilliant. I thought we were, initially before the match, I thought we were in for a hiding, no matter what team he put out. And while I think it was the best team he could pick, the most creative team he could pick with what was available to him, maybe out of reflex, I was wondering, should we have gone with more experience away from home and, and hark back because I, because we're, we can't get beyond that kind of the game we, the type of game we used to play, pack the defense and, and, and maybe there was naivety that we would try to go to Portugal and play. And I was very wrong on that. But initially before the game, I think wasn't it Conley and Ida up front? You're kind of going two very young players. Are we really going to get anything out of Portugal with this? But as the game went on, the entire team just grew into it. And I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant performance and shows what potential is there. I know we're going to talk about the games that came on after. It shows the potential that he or the coaching staff or those players can get out of a game. Um, and we'll speak later about doing it consistently. My overall feeling towards the end was just... Christ is Kenny cursed like how unlucky can you get I think an awful lot of people would have just prayed we got over the line with that win and it wasn't to be and there are lessons to learn from that as well but I thought it was a superb performance trying to play away from home we lost Joe Jimmy no no sorry you you, you cut out there you just, did I you sorry as far as, uh, trying to play away from home and then just died right oh. I stopped talking. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. I thought you. I thought you. Uh, uh, I thought you more to, to, to say. Okay. Uh, Leave it in. Leave it in. Leave it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leave it in. Uh, Editorial. It's the Kilkenny uh, accent. I need to come down on the end of the word or something. <laughs> no, I've stopped talking. Okay. When the teams came out for the second half, we knew we were going to be under the cost. There was no way that Portugal they weren't going to accept a 1-0 loss at home to, you know, the team that was, at the time, bottom of the group, you know, and not give their captain and best player his moment. There was a feeling as the game went on that eventually they would score, and inevitably it was, of course it was, Ronaldo who scored. Now, I felt that we were riding our luck a little bit at that time. Bernardo Silva put a, a shot over from six yards when I've seen him ping the ball in from 30-plus yards uh, on a number of occasions from Manchester City. So, you know, when it went one all, when Ronaldo got the goal, when he broke the record, you kind of thought, all right, one all, it's not an unfair result. We do deserve to take something from this game. But then, with six minutes of the five minutes injury time completed, Ronaldo inevitably scored the winner for his team. Now, when I saw the goal first, as I was watching the game, I felt that Seamus Coleman had given him far too much space. But I did see another angle uh, of the build-up to the goal uh, on the 42. And you can see that for about 30 seconds before he actually scores, Cristiano Ronaldo is tearing Coleman around the place. He knows Coleman is marking him. And he keeps moving Coleman, who's watching both the player and the ball, and keeps moving him and keeps moving and keeps moving. And... Coleman eventually loses him 
for about four seconds. But in that four seconds, Ronaldo has put Coleman exactly where he wants him to stand that will give him the space to run and jump and connect with the ball and score a header and take his shirt off and get booked for it by a smiling referee. Now, we can mash our fists uh, and claim unfairness, but that's what winners do. They never give up. I don't feel that Portugal deserved the win. I felt that we definitely should have come away from Faro with something. And I like like you, James, uh, I started the question, like, is the manager just jinxed to never uh, win a game? But the overall feeling at the end of the 96 minutes was that this was a performance that could be built on. That we were coming back to Dublin, we'd be at Aviva Stadium in front of a crowd for the first time since November 2019. We were playing the group Minos in Azerbaijan and we could definitely get something out of that game. Phil, were you the same as me at the end of the game? Were you happy with the performance or was there anything you thought that the manager could have done differently? I was very, yeah, happy with the performance. Look, at the end of the day, it's, it's levels, isn't it? It's not key for more in there with 90 minutes on the clock and you're not going to get, an, you know, you know, it's, you're not going to get take it if Ronaldo does it because as you said, like he's the, he's the best in the world. He's an unbelievable header of the ball. Like he is one of the best headers of the ball in the world. He six foot whatever and he can literally go missing in the box. Like, and he'll do it to a, a player as good as Seamus Coleman and he'll make Seamus Coleman look like a Sunday league footballer, but it's not really a reflection of Seamus Coleman, it's just that he's on another level. So if it was Kiefer Moore for Wales, I would have been throwing something at the TV, because that's not meant to happen. But when it is Ronaldo, look, it's just levels. You have to give them a bit of benefit of the doubt. Like, it's, he's one of the best. I was initially sickened when the second one went in. The first one went in, and I was like, of course they got one. It was coming, really, wasn't it? I thought bringing McLean on was a big mistake. I thought McLean shouldn't have been near the pitch. We were under the cosh at that stage. Now, we had created a couple of chances. I thought Connolly was a stonewall penalty. I thought, oh, Absolutely. I wasn't annoyed with the extra time. I was annoyed with the penalty because it was a stonewall penalty. And for all the looking he did at their penalty in the first half, he could have looked at it for another half an hour if he wanted. He didn't give him an inch. He didn't give him 30 seconds. You know, so that was, I was more annoyed with that than, than the, the whole issue of extra time. But coming away from it though, the performance was brilliant. Like it was probably one of the first games where I've gone pick that team again. Just just pick that same team again next the next day. You know, Connolly didn't have a great game, but give him another go. The rest of them worked. Pick that team again. So I was happy after it. I wasn't obviously happy with the result, but I was happy. I had seen enough. A lot of people were saying we had to see a performance. James said it as well. We all thought we were in for a hiding, but we all wanted to see glimpses of a performance. I thought we got a lot more of a performance than people expected. I thought we might have 10 minutes here, 5 minutes there, a couple of chances. But I thought overall, we played well for the 90 minutes. They obviously had spells. And look, they set up in midfield with basically one holding midfielder. So it worked for us. But we took advantage of that as well. So I was pleased overall. Just to come back to that penalty incident, there was another incident involving Connolly earlier on where he didn't dive, but he definitely was trying to buy a penalty. He waited for contact and went down very, very easily. And I think that came back to him for the for the genuine penalty claim. The ref said, look, you tried to call me earlier on. I'm just I'm not going to give you any time. Like It was real boy who cried wolf kind of stuff. And you'd hope that Connolly would learn from that. 
okay, look, first of all, don't dive because eventually when you have a legitimate complaint, a ref is going to just wave you away and say, look, you've dived before, you've, you've, you've dived again. I do agree with you that it should have gone to at least to VAR, but because the ref dealt with it on the pitch, I think that's why it didn't. I saw, sorry, I saw a lot of stuff wrote about after the game about Connolly and how he's known for this, you know, and maybe the ref caught on to that. That referee has never heard of Aaron Connolly. Those no. Portugal players have never heard of Aaron Connolly. They do not know who Aaron Connolly is. If he goes down once and maybe it's a soft one and he should get up, that's only one one time. It was there's no reason for the ref to go back and not have a look at that. It's not like, you know, say uh, a holding midfielder keeps fouling with niggly fouls. He'll eventually go back and say, Look, I'm booking you. He didn't in this situation he didn't do that. So I don't think the first incidents that you've brought up had an effect on the penalty call. I think whoever that was in the box, they were never he was never looking at it. Yeah, it's a massive call, like I mean one nil. We had to stem the first five, ten minutes of Portuguese pressure. This is a major call, guys. I mean yeah. that goes to Ireland penalty one nil turns to two nil. Yeah. You can see that Portuguese crowd in Farrell and there is a bit of a love hate relationship with southern Portugal with Porto and Lisbon players. The crowd gets on uh, Portuguese players' backs could see us definitely getting something out of that game. It's a decisive moment, really. It's a We can talk about the injury time, but it, it's a stonewaller. If shoes on the other foot, let's say Bruno Fernandes is in the box, Duffy's basically in behind him. Do you think the referee's going to hesitate once? He's not. He's going to just basically point to the spotlight, you know, so I think, you know. Joe, I, I'm not one of these people who says that it was a hometown decision, but when Diddy Haman comes out after it and says in 40 years playing yeah. and watching football, he's, he's never seen a referee performance like it, that it was off. There was something going on there. With The ref took so long to look at the penalty. I didn't think it was a Portuguese penalty, to be honest. I thought uh, it was sloppy play in the box. I thought Hendrik, if you watch it, knocks the ball off. You can see the ball go away from goal. But he took so long to watch those split seconds and not the build-up to it. He was almost gagging to be the referee who was there the night Ronaldo won the record. Now, I know that sounds bitter. After Ronaldo missed the penalty, I don't know if this was picked up. I was watching it in London on Sky. Ronaldo asked the ref to look at it again to make sure Bazuno wasn't moving off the line. And he did. He went back to VAR again. The Connolly one... I don't I did I don't recall did it go to VAR at all? No. no. And then there was extra time played at the end of the first half and there was extra time played at the end of the second half. Now, any ball that goes into the box where a player like Ronaldo were liable to get scored against. Like he outjumps Shane Duffy who's 6 foot 4 or whatever for the first one. But when you take into account someone like Haman saying it was a throwback to those kind of the 1980s when we got done in Belgium by these dodgy referees, that is really what it felt like. And I think some of the photos of the referee smiling as he books Ronaldo for taking his shirt off after scoring at the end didn't help his case in, in any way. You know, refs are supposed to be impartial and at no point did you feel like he was acting impartially. Phil, you mentioned uh, some of the substitutions there. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think that McLean was a mistake, but you know why he brought James McLean on. He brought on James McLean on for energy to carry the ball away from the Irish half to chase long balls and to just kick someone if, if needs be. But I felt it disrupted the side a little bit. Like Conley 
hadn't been playing as a winger. He was kind of playing as an inside left. And I felt that Troy Paris might have been a more uh, of a like-for-like substitution. You kind of thought as well that, that Ryan Manning not getting on, I think his, his cards have been marked. The manager just sees him as a squad player. He plays as a left wing back uh, regularly in the championship and to not bring him on to play to play that role at international level it does suggest to me that the, I don't know if the manager knows what to do with him, basically is what I'm trying to say. After the, the Portugal game ended and, and the team returned to Dublin, the build-up to the second qualifier of the triple header at home to Azerbaijan, because everyone was feeling like we're playing the lowest-ranked team in the group. They're a middle at international level. They've had two away wins in their history, as far as I remember, against San Marino and the Faroe Islands. We felt that the, the team that had been picked and the tactics that had been used had gotten probably the best performance of his reign thus far against a, a really good side. And then the, when the, the lineup was announced on Saturday, I felt that not alone were there personnel changes, but the formation changes as well didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Jason Malumbi came in after only playing the last few minutes against Portugal. Seamus Coleman went from right wing back to the right side of a three-man defence, despite Omar Vamadeli coming in and, as we discussed, playing really well in uh, in his first international appearance. Stephen Kenny earned, like, so, uh, he uh, from the from the performance, he earned some trust from the the Ireland fans. But I, there was still a few questions about the changes that he made, and I feel some of them weren't changes that he needed to make, but he did it anyway, and. You know, it really did come back to haunt him. Mark, what did you think of the lineup that he, he picked for Azerbaijan? It was the parallel, isn't it, between, you know, the Serbian, Belgrade, Luxembourg and Dublin kind of legs and the pre-game to the Azerbaijan game was, was he going to learn from his mistakes and that? In Stephen Kenny's defence, he's kept, tried to keep the spine of the team pretty much <coughs> solid with Bazuno, Duffy, Cullen, Ida and Connolly there to a certain respect and Matt Doherty. But, I think we're potentially Nathan Collins cried off injury, injured during the lead up to this game. I'm just wondering, guys, if Nathan Collins was being penciled in here for maybe an appearance against Azerbaijan because this Seamus Coleman switch for me, particularly in the back three, just for me, like this is Azerbaijan. We should be getting on the front foot and given the performance that we have with Doherty and Coleman, that attacking axis down the flanks. I thought we kind of missed a little bit on that, particularly. And I suppose Jason Malumbi, I'm a big fan of his on this podcast. And it's just his first full game. It happens to be an international World Cup qualifier. So I was a little bit concerned in terms of Malumbi, just in terms of was he going to be ring rusty or whatever. Troy Barrett, I thought, was maybe a welcome inclusion, just given the chance that we created against Portugal that given he's former with the MK Don. So I suppose apart from the Coleman positioning maybe and maybe Malumbi and his match sharpness, I suppose those were the two key kind of selections I thought were a little bit maybe questioning. I actually thought that where he selected Paris was a little surprising for because for me, he's the central striker. I suppose he was playing in a, a wing forward role. And the, the other thing about that, that right-hand side was that with Coleman at the right side of a three-man defence and Matt Doherty on the right of a, a midfield four. Uh, I wasn't sure if he was playing right wing or right wing back, but it felt like two players just got in each other's way. You know, their, their natural instincts 
might have you know overridden whatever instructions they'd gotten from the manager. And you know, coming up to half time, you know, some of the possession stats had us fifty fifty with with Azerbaijan. Some of them had Azerbaijan with a majority. So the goal that came. Well, it's a shock in that it was a goal by Azerbaijan, but I don't think we should have been too surprised by it. If you go back and look at the goals we conceded against Luxembourg and against Andorra, there's not a lot of difference in them. Jimmy, at one and half time to the group minnows, do you think that the manager was thinking he's got 45 minutes to save his job? Yeah, I definitely think he was thinking that at half time, but I think we can get bogged down a little bit in the details. I, I would have agreed. I think Phil said, why not pick the same team again on the Saturday? And I would have felt that, not because I felt that was the team and the formation to be Azerbaijan, but that I think he has chopped and changed a lot. And when he comes, when he came across a formula that worked and a team that worked, he should have given them another outing. But that was a team set up to play away from home against one of the best teams in the world and one of the best players who, have, who will ever play the game. He comes back to Dublin. He wants to get on the front foot. In the fallout from the three games, has been made of Anthony Barry, the Chelsea coach. He's a coach at the Champions League winners. And he would have had a big say in changing the team and changing the formation to play the team in front of you. So we've perhaps grew up with this kind of 4-4-2, Mike Bassett, this is how you play, this is how we're always going to play. And the modern game has changed, and we've got coaches at the cutting edge of that who will have been in his ear, and he will he would regard it himself as, we changed the formation to play the team in front of us. Azerbaijan parked the bus. And when you don't score... The opposition always get opportunities. It could be one, it could be two in a game. They scored their one opportunity. It was a terrific goal. We can't take anything away from that, but it should have been closed down. So we're 1-0 down, and suddenly all the doubts start coming back. It's like, okay, we played well in Portugal, but Irish teams always play well against the big teams. Like, if you or I were the manager, we could probably pick a team that would frustrate one of the big teams because they can raise themselves to play against the big guns. Now all the doubts start to come in is that actually these aren't very good players. They're not playing at very good clubs. They're not high quality. They're not capable of beating a team like Azerbaijan. And that's how it transpired. We got a late goal to get a draw. We made an awful lot of crosses into the box and we were missing that quality. So the the, the bigger debate is, does that come down to the manager? I think what it reminded us of is that our players are actually not playing at a very high level. And there's also been a lot of talk about, do we have any right now to expect to beat teams like Azerbaijan and Luxembourg? um, I do believe we should be beating Azerbaijan, but why? Why should we be beating Azerbaijan? Because player for player we're better? Uh, Perhaps... Perhaps yes, but overall quality, we're not a million miles above these kind of teams at the moment. I did see a point made on one of the forums, that I, I genuinely can't remember which one, it might have been you boys in green, that you know, historically we would have beaten these teams 3-0, 4-0, 5-0, maybe 10 years ago, that's come in a bit, and now we're, we were beating them 2-1 or 3-1, and now they've improved again, and we're battling for the win. If you think, like... We had a 100% record against Georgia. Like, we had beaten Georgia every single time we played them. 
until we drew one all with them under Martin O'Neill. And now Georgia, a team that we traditionally would beat, have improved to the level where they can compete with us. And suddenly getting a point away from home against Georgia, it, like it shouldn't be seen as a bad result. Like, you know, these teams are improving and there's a lot of, you know, stats going around about the number of coaches in Ireland, uh, the number of full-time inca- academy employees. And, you know, when we had Aon Reardon on, he said that, you know, that loss against Luxembourg, that didn't occur in a vacuum, that it's probably been coming for a long time. You know, the players that are in the senior team, they're the players that have, uh, you know, that have come through at under 17 or 19 or 21 level. They're the players that have been coached by the Irish coaches in, you know, at each, at each level as until they've made the senior team. And if some of these countries like Azerbaijan have the money to get better coaches in, then their players are working with better coaches and will become better players. Conceding a goal to, to these minnows. Maybe it shouldn't be such a shock to us. I agree with you that we have, look, we have no divine right to win any football match. But especially in that, in that first half, it felt like we weren't even being competitive. Joe, I don't agree with that. I don't, I, like, you're, that you're suggesting we were outplayed by Azerbaijan. I'm not saying we were outplayed by them, but I didn't. What do you mean we weren't? But we, of course, we were competitive. We were, we were, I don't think we threw everything at them and we just went, didn't have the quality to get the goals. Like, if that was the O'Neill or Trapattoni, Shane Duffy would be knocking that ball 60 yards for the entire game. Okay. And at the end of it, he'd be, he'd be up front and we'd be knocking it up to him. I think, I think we go from extreme to extreme. I thought we did enough to win that game, but we didn't. And the manager will be judged on results, but the players also have to hold up their hands and say, I didn't score against Azerbaijan. I thought Troy Parrott was awful in the game. So I think, you know, I think we have to be careful about what the the language we use, that it's not throwaway. We weren't competitive against Azerbaijan. We were outplayed. We weren't outplayed by Azerbaijan. I didn't say we were outplayed. I told you I'd get feisty. There you go. I didn't think I didn't say we were outplayed by them. I said I didn't feel we were competitive against them. We had one shot on target in that first forty-five minutes. Because okay? we're not very good, Joe. Yeah, but we like a competitive team would have more than one shot on target. Yeah, can so, I just can I come in on that, lads? So yeah. I think well, firstly, just just to go quickly to your point about having no divine right to beat these teams. I think if anyone is looking for a starting point in our decline, go back to the Home Nations Cup. I remember going to the three games. We absolutely wiped the floor with the North. We battered Wales. I can't even remember the Scotland game. I think we bet them as well. We scored loads of goals. Lads, we wouldn't touch any of them now. And it's been like that. We used to beat Georgia. Then it was tricky away. Then, geez, I hope we get a draw. If you go back to that point, we were hammering home, Home Nation teams. And gradually we have fallen down the ladder. Yeah, we would not be now. But just to, to go back to your initial point about people getting a bit antsy, going 1-0 down at half-time and all the fear comes back. I think when you look at the team that played against Portugal, you have Matt Doherty, who has played one of his, his probably his best game for us. His other game, I can't remember the team, but he came in and he played left of the, the three centre-backs and he was unbelievable. I can't think of the team off my head. But he has his best game, Okay. We upend him. We we move him. We upend him. Jamie McGrath comes in for his first start. He's a goal scoring midfielder who likes to get in the ball. Gone. Good luck. Adios. We have Jeff Hendrick, who actually played well against Portugal. I know people don't like to say Jeff Hendrick can play well sometimes. He played well against Portugal. 
he would have brought balance. We get rid of him. He's gone. We move around the, the defence. The manager's job is to look at the players and find out the best way of getting them all to click. And I don't think Kenny did that. I think you have to look at those three or four players and say, right, they're all in the right holes. Now we need to figure the rest of the team out around that. There was lots we could have done. Like, I get your point about change of formation because Azerbaijan are going to sit back. We could have played a diamond with McGrath, the tip. There was loads of stuff we could do. I just thought he got the team wrong. And I think a lot of people said it before the game. It was noticeably that the team didn't look right. And I think then when you go go down, people are going to get antsy. It's, it's natural. Also, James McLean. James McLean came on the 71st minute against Portugal. He did nothing of note. James McLean is a, is a disruptor. Like, we shouldn't have brought him on against Portugal anyway because we needed to get a bit of control back. But he disrupts. He is someone you bring on at home with 30 minutes to go if you need a goal. He will then do what he's good at, which is carry down, run into the channels, make tackles, all that. But he did nothing to show me that he should be starting that game against Azerbaijan. He he doesn't have the quality attacking-wise. So I think the team was off. I think McGrath really stuck out. So I think that's where Kenny, he needs to improve. It's not so much that he doesn't know his best team. He doesn't know the the best formation to get out of his team. Usually managers would have a couple of formations they can go back and forth between. He doesn't really seem to know what's best at home for himself. He has a good idea of what's best away, but at home when a team comes and sits deep, I don't think he knows. Like if you look at the spine of the team for the three games, if Coleman wasn't injured for the last game, you've six players there who played every game, Barrett Coleman in the last game. Duffy Egan, Bazuna, Ida, Doherty, Coleman. That's a good spine, but he needs to figure out the rest of that whole man away in a formation. And I think that's what's killed him at home. He doesn't know his best team in the right formation. I don't want to criticise the manager for not being adventurous or trying something different and then criticising when he does try something different. But I, I agree with what you said. There was a lot of changes made to the team that felt like they didn't need to be made. Like we had found a winning formation Maybe by accident, maybe by design, maybe not. But the changes that he made for Azerbaijan were not forced. But you can change the formation while still fitting in, say, your four key players who have yeah. stood out. You know, McGrath, I can only imagine McGrath was absolutely, you're McGrath, you're chomping at the bit after that game. You've won yeah. the sitter. You are raring to go at home in front of fans. You've done it against Portugal, your first game. You've shown them what you're made of and you're dropped. For no, you know, it's just one of those things. And There's I, and a naivety there. He actually trusts some of them too much. Too much. And, and, and others not enough. And maybe he doesn't yeah. trust himself enough. And while it is a criticism, and I think there has to be a bit of balance in this, we can absolutely criticise him. But again, he, like the players, can learn. And he has four games left in this qualifying campaign. It would be nice to see that improved upon in the next few games. You know, he can, of course he can. He, he's learning on the job as well, but it, it is something he's going to have to get his head around, I think. Do you think he should still be learning on the job? I mean, he has been in charge now for I a think, year and a half. And I, I think because of the, the amount of players that have come in, I think, like, a lot of people last year yeah. would a lot of, look, a lot of casual fans, not to knock the casual fans, you've got Malumbi, you've Cullen, you have McGrath. Like, a lot of fans wouldn't have known about McGrath last season with Samara. There's a lot of juggling balls in the air. And he needs a lot of them players as well to get settled. 
and start playing club football. So I would give him a bit of slack on that. It's more the formation I'd be I'd be focusing on. The formation at home. We knew Azerbaijan were going to sit deep. So he, he needs to figure that out. The formation, I felt, actually wasn't set up as a home team to bring the game to their opponents. It was set up... I don't want to say it was set up as an away team, but it it didn't feel like an attacking setup, despite the presence of Connolly, Ida, and Parrott up front. Like the midfield, McLean, Colin, Malumbi, and Darty, you know, this it, it didn't feel very creative. And I'd agree, which I'd actually include Hendrick. I'd say he felt exactly the same as as McGrath did after the Portugal game. Yeah, you know, I played one of the best. Game. Yeah, I you know, I played one of the best games, definitely under the current manager, and suddenly I get dropped. The point about learning on the job is a very important one, Joe, and there's arguments for and against. Uh, He's the one who brought these players in. He has said it since that that was his plan to qualify for the Euros, which is a little bit like, well, you didn't say that at the start, and the FBI never backed you at the start. It's logical for a team that's rock bottom with very little quality. It's logical for a manager to come in and say, we're going to blood young players for two years. We we know that Irish audiences and pundits don't like that. We want they want to be competitive in a campaign. But just looking at the and the point has been made also that some of these pundits and even some of the names touted as managers wouldn't have known who Gavin Bazunu even was. So looking at the just at the team the Azerbaijan, we're talking about did he get the formation right? Did he get the players right? Gavin Bazunu, arguably Egan, Malumbi, Cullen, Parrott, Ida. Would Martin O'Neill have picked any of those players? Would they have even been in his squad? So we're talking about, yeah, maybe Parrott shouldn't have come in. Maybe we should have stuck with McGrath because, but Kenny's the one who brought these guys in. So he is learning on the job and they're learning on the job and if we're seeing a spark of something, the question is, do we stick with the project or the process, which has been said many times over the last few days? I did want to see Parrot start against Azerbaijan, but I did want to see him start as a, as a wing forward. I think we saw on his loan last year with Millwall and how he's played this year on loan at MK Dons, that he plays best as a central striker. He's not a great dribbler of the ball, so when you're not playing him... As far forward as you can, I think he loses a little something. Look, we're all experts after the fact, but I I felt he didn't get the best out of him in that game. And look, we haven't even spoken about the goal yet. We stepped things up in the second half, and by the end of the game, we'd had four extra shots on target in that second half. Now, the equaliser, I, I said that Egan's goal against Portugal was basic, but this was probably even more basic. We pushed Shane Duffy up front, and it was a cross, and he got a header on it and it equalised. I actually thought it, the keeper made it look more difficult than it was because it was almost straight at him, but there was just the sheer amount of power that was behind it. it meant that there's very little you could do about it. So in Kenny's first game against Bulgaria, we equalised from a Shane Duffy header late on, and suddenly, 13 or 14 months later, we're equalising with a Shane Duffy header late on. Okay, look, criticism has become more polarised and it's either amazing or terrible. But saying what he said in the press conference, saying that, well, I'm actually building a team for the Euros in Germany in 2024, 
that did not do him any favours at all because suddenly that's saying that he was written off the current qualifiers before they had started and that the Nations League campaign when it starts is also going to be irrelevant because the main thrust of his reign is going to be qualifying for Germany in 2024. We've mentioned before that Stephen Kenny is not good in press conferences and look, he isn't. And there's nothing wrong with that. Some people are good in front of the cameras. Some people are good at taking questions and he's not. But that line, it, it felt to me like he was saying, we've written off the, the last year, we're writing off the next year, and it's going to be another 12 months before we see the team that I'm trying to build. I've been listening intently here, guys. The project in Northern Ireland, I would kind of put the case study against, particularly with Michael O'Neill's reign, that first two years was absolutely horrific. But like he had to blood an awful lot of new guys in. So when he came in, Stephen Kenny, I think we were under no illusion here what the job he had in front of him. He wants to create a new footballing. He's also a footballing vision from what he did in the under-21s. Obviously, he needs to blow players in. You've got to give these guys 15, 20 caps at least to kind of really show what they're worth. And it's that kind of find the balance act. You know, we compete well, particularly against the Serbias and Portugal. Maybe the pressure is a little bit off in that perspective, that we're not basically asked to get on a front foot and look to really control the tempo and create attacking chances, whereas more elite teams might give us a little bit more room, particularly counter-attacking. But I, I do agree with you, Joe. The 2024 comment was a little bit unfortunate, but I think the overall scene of things, the group was going to be pretty difficult. Portugal, Serbia, pretty renewed after, you know, not getting into the Euros. That was a big disappointment for them, particularly losing Scotland to the playoffs. They had added motivation. Those two teams, and then we have kind of Azerbaijan and Luxembourg that we've kind of shown now have kind of literally stepped up a little bit. I mean, from a Stephen Kenny perspective, learning on a job, yes, there's a certain degree of that for him, but also with some players that he has not been too familiar with and kind of trying to get the best out of those guys. So, look, the next three to four fixtures are key for him to really kind of establish, do we have a, a midfielder here who's capable of hitting a 20, 30-yard pass in behind? Because we have guys there like Colin Lumby who are well capable of running box to box, a very kind of subtle, nuanced player that we can literally can pick out a pass, like a Wes Hoolan type player that can pick a pass out of the air. I don't know if we have that player, but again, it's up to... Yeah, it's up to the management staff to maybe set scouring or scouting around. But that's the key, Mark. We all know we don't have that type of player. Yeah. Because they haven't been there up to now. Mm. Which We we talked about the Glenn Whelans and the Andrews and how we would bypass midfield. We all know the player isn't there. So we have to try and coach one of these young guys into being that player and give them the time to do that or scour the globe and hope... We've been Irish granny living in Brazil or some of the, all those Brazilians who moved to Ireland in the last 10 years, their kids start playing. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, we're getting really, of course, we like getting into the minute details and we should be more competitive in every campaign. But we're at rock bottom. We're not producing players because look at the clubs those players are at. We have to start the revolution from somewhere. And... As we said at the top of the program, it might end up being that Kenny is the interim coach who has blooded these players and someone else comes in and takes all the glory. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the fear, isn't it, uh, Jimmy, really? You know that he builds that foundation, he identifies a Gavin Kilkenny or someone in two years' time. Or maybe just and gives them the, yeah. And gives them the caps. Exactly. So if someone takes over, they've got experience. 
I think that's more a realistic outcome than him hanging on and, and you know, qualifying us for a tournament, to be honest with you. And I think it's one of those things where he'll look back on proudly if he does do that. Like, someone has to take the first step. I think when Kenny came in, I think a lot of fans were like, the idea of it was great, but I don't think people realised how long it was going to take. I think people thought we should be like, the Nations League and the Euros is done, right, let's go, we should be going for the World Cup now. You know, a lot of a lot of fans seem to just think that, right, he's had his time, he's had his one qualifying campaign, let's go. But to rebuild something this big, it's 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 going to take more than the next Euros campaign as well. Like, we might flirt with the idea of qualifying for the next Euros, but we probably won't. Like, let's be honest. I fear for yeah. the next Euros as and, well. But if he does bring all these players in and we come close next time out and he decides to move on or, or the FAI decide to move him on for someone, someone similar or better, so be it. He, you know, we'll look back and we'll say, great. But the, the problem is as well, you have a lot of I- casual Irish fans who just don't have the patience. If Irish fans were Andy Dufresne, they'd turn around halfway through the tunnel of shit and go back <laughs> and have yeah. three meals a day. Whereas we can go, we're going to crawl up there in five years and we're going to have steak. They'd be like halfway through the tunnels and going back and we're going to have them a porridge. You need to have the long-term... Not, not just fans, though, Phil. Pun- uh, some pundits as well. Yeah, it's, yeah of course. But you have, like Stephen Elliott, like Stephen Elliott. If you watch Sky yeah, last night... have never seen that's... Stephen Elliott on the TV in three years, like... And I watched Spain at the press conference and I see him having a go with Stephen Elliott and I'm like, Stephen Elliott, like, who is he working for? Talk sport. He, he does, he actually, he works for uh, Sunderland Echo. I follow him on Twitter, actually. He's a good follow yeah, on but Twitter. There's, but, there's, but there's a lot of that, like, there's a lot of fans who would just go, oh, Ireland are playing. Who's he? You know, jeez, come on. Should be doing better. It's just, it's just going to take a lot more time than everyone thought and I think Stephen Kenny's cross to bear is, it's his job to bring in all these players. What would the team be like if uh, Jason Knight, Malumbi, Cullen, McGrath, Ida, Parrott, Bazunu, Andrew at the back, Nathan Collins, if they all had 25 caps and Stephen Kenny came in to manage them tomorrow? It's not different. But it's not. And Kenny, that's his cross. But there is is potentially some naivety there that he is trusting these guys because every manager knows you're based on results – and he can't go 16, 17, 18, 20 games without a win and expect, no, expect of us course to not. stick with him. But that's where, the, that's where the lack of balance comes in when you look at the Portugal game and you see the five or six senior players and you think, perfect, we have enough there in enough positions to influence these young fellas and to give these young lads the confidence on the ball. And he changed it. So there's the naivety. and Not the naivety, there's the... I'm saying learning on the job because I don't want to be too critical, but that's where he needs to improve. And at the end of the day, if he goes 20 games with one result, with one win, he, look, he's toast. Because I don't think the FAI have the bollocks to hold on. Because it's bums on seats as well. And if we draw a big team in the Euro qualifiers or the Nations League, or, whatever, or not in the Nations League, in the Euro qualifiers, and someone like Roy Keane says, oh, I might give them a go. Bums on seats. All those casual Man United fans, Liverpool fans, nothing wrong with them, but they're all going to go, geez, I wouldn't, wouldn't mind going to Aviva on Saturday now at 5 o'clock to see Roy Keane. That'd be all right, wouldn't he? He'd get the boys up. Next thing, you're scrambling for Ireland tickets again. These all these issues... It all, all comes into it. We do Sorry. talk about Stephen Kenny here, guys, but I think backroom staff-wise as well have been evolving as well. 
during the tenure as well. Look at the departures that have arrived. with a certain Robbie Keane that was at a soccer aid fixture over the weekend while uh, Aaron were playing Azerbaijan, an FAI employee. That is just an absolute disgrace from yeah. start to finish. It, it, there has been evolution back from staff. Anthony Barry coming in, great. Dean Cloddy, great. Keith Andrews growing into that assistant management role, I feel, as well. And But again, that team selection, you know, it is Kenny ultimately... Stephen Rice coming in as the opposition analyst as well. So, again, guys need time to start betting in as well. And you can, you know, say to me, yeah, you've how many games gone during the tenure? But I think it needs to be stable here for another 12, 18 months at least. But I do see your point, Phil. If someone like a Roy Keane does put but that hand. Yeah. Roy Keane, maybe, although I don't yeah, think he's touched him with so. a 10-foot pole. No, I honestly so. don't. But some of the names being touted, I mean, I thought I was in a night, woke up in a nightmare. I mean, are we for real? Damien well, Duff, who was already on Kenny's staff and has managed a Shelburne under 15s, I mean, come on. If that it, is what we're going to replace him with. If you look at that list, I was looking at that list. I think we were talking about it on the WhatsApp group, lads. If I look at that list and I'm your normal Irish football fan and I see Roy Keane, I'm thinking, do you know what? He's half of the last two that brought us to a tournament. And all the players, yeah. all the senior players are gone now. Ward is gone. Walters is gone. They're all gone. No one really in that squad has a beef for Roy Keane. Roy Keane could probably walk in there tomorrow and have the respect of them to a degree. So, like, like it's just it's pure, basic Neanderthal thinking. But that's the way the FAI operate. So the, the simplest option is always the one that they go for. So, like, it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me at all. Some of the names that were mentioned are names that you forget were still actually in, in management. Some of the names that were mentioned after the Azerbaijan game. Uh, give me pause for thought. Jim Goodwin at St. Mern, I thought, not yet. If he continues as he has been at St. Mern, who were playing good football, He's getting great performances from the players he's in charge of, including Jamie McGrath, who you said that previous managers and probably a lot of fans hadn't heard of Jamie McGrath. I can guarantee you that pretty much nobody in Scotland knew who Jamie McGrath was last year until he moved to St. Mary. And now he's been talked about to uh, a move to either one of the bigger sides in Scotland or to at, at the very least at the championship side in England. It's never a managerial hot seat link with Republic of Ireland if Philip Troussier is never... Yeah. In the, the frame for a job. How many? He's <laughs> 66 yeah. now, so no. I, I, I know I'm just there, joking. But, uh. There's a wider point on that, Joe, and it's been made on places like Off the Ball, is that yeah. other countries put a plan in place, a long-term succession plan, like Southgate taking on the England uh, job. We that was by of, accident more than design, let's be we, honest here. We yeah, kind yeah. of did it with, yeah, of course, and who's who's in line to take over Ireland, apparently? Anyway... Kenny was kind of a succession plan, although I would give Delaney absolutely zero credit as if there was some kind of master plan in in place there. But the point that we were trying to say was lots of countries are bringing up and coming coaches through their underage structures. And so this is a a bigger question about coaching in Ireland, not although I don't, don't doubt that Jim Goodwin is doing some good work not looking for coaches in Scotland or England or someone with an Irish granny uh, who might come in, but actually building coaching structures within our own country. Because, I mean, like, if it's really about getting a, a manager who will get us results, why are we looking to England? Why aren't we going to South America or Spain or somewhere? I mean, like, Stephen Reid, Robbie Keane, like, like, what pedigree have these guys got? 
there's a bigger question about short-term thinking over long-term succession plans and structures. Yeah, that's a fair point. Celtic looked to Japan for their new manager, and while it remains to be seen how much of a success uh, he will be, I think he's done okay so far at Celtic Park, and he's definitely turned things around from the the dog days at the end of Neil Lennon's reign. Another name linked with the job, Neil Lennon. Yeah, I would give it to Neil Lennon. He came second in a one-horse race. Whatever about his uh, managerial ability, I think the the sheer amount of grief that it would cause to the the peace process might not be worth it. (laughs) The feeling among the fans after the one-all draw against Azerbaijan was that Stephen Kenny might have one game left to save his tenure as Ireland, Ireland manager and, face, and facing a team that had already beaten us in the qualifiers. He kind of reverted a little bit to the, the personnel that he had in the first game against Portugal. And, you know, we talked a little bit that Darryl Shea getting injured might have been a blessing in disguise. And it's possible that Seamus Coleman being ruled out uh, might also have been a, a blessing that we didn't recognize because it meant that Andrew Omovamadeli was able to come in uh, for his his first start at senior international level on the the right of that three-man defence, replacing Coleman. And again, picked up where he left off against Portugal. He played like he'd been playing there all his life. The players that we mentioned that might have been a bit miffed at missing out, Jamie McGrath and Jeff Hendrick, came back in midfield. And again, I thought Hendrick, I don't know, he has his, uh, he has his doubters, but... You know, he built on that performance against Portugal and shows what he can do. Like, and now the challenge for the Newcastle midfielders to do it a bit more consistently. We conceded from a set piece, you know, but it never felt like, if, even after conceding, it didn't feel like the team gave up. It felt that we could score. Mark, what did you think of the changes that the manager made again for the third game in a little over a week? What did, and what did he learn from the draw against Azerbaijan? Yeah, look, he was trying to freshen it up. It was, it was good to see Alan Brown come back in, like he wasn't in the reckoning due to, I think, illness, wasn't it? Uh, first two games. He did come on late against Azerbaijan. but And again, <laughs> McLean being so spiky in the press conferences, I knew he'd come out with a big performance. Uh, that certainly proved the point. Um, you know, overall, like Coleman's injury did force Kenny's hand, particularly at the back three. Matt Doherty did kind of, did he say something in the media regarding kind of some illness issues, particularly in that Portuguese game or did I hear that right but his attacking threat was massive there Jamie McGrath as well uh, Adamita again getting consistent game time as well as our number nine you know he had been showing well so it was just missing probably an international goal so overall I was kind of happy with the team but the five across the midfield I think Kenny did learn lessons from Belgrade particularly after 30 minutes in that open fixture did overpower flanks a little bit and Mitrovic uh, came into his own so I think there was a little bit of a nuanced tactical approach then you have to maybe credit or Stephen Rice a little bit on that. Stephen Rice, the new analyst that's come into the managerial setup. One thing I thought that they didn't get exactly right was that Dusan Tadic had a lot of the, of the Serbian play, and I don't think you can let a player of his talent see the ball as much as he did. Even after we went one and down, I think the performance up to that point, the crowd definitely were behind the players. And you know, as the game went on, even though we were we were still losing. You know, they were very much behind the team. 
there was a noise that I haven't heard in Aviva Stadium in a long time. I think in, in all the games I've ever gone to, the only two games I think that would be would have exceeded it was the one in the win against Germany and the two in the win against Bosnia in the in the playoff that came soon after that. There's the, the old line that uh, players win matches but managers lose them. So Phil, what do you, how do you think that applies here? I mean, does did Stephen Kenny get it right or did the players suddenly start playing? Was it a combination of the two? Yeah, so I think he, he did get a lot right, I think, and credit to him because, like, tactically in-game, I don't think we've seen as much as we should from him, as much as he talks about tactics. I don't think we've seen enough. I thought in Serbia we did. I thought performance-wise, I think it was somewhere in between Portugal and Azerbaijan. It wasn't as good as Portugal. It wasn't as bad as Azerbaijan. It was about a solid six and a half. We had some great moments. Tactically, I thought we saw the Serbia away game. They are mad. I know Portugal set up with like one hold midfielder, but Serbia love to attack and they leave room in behind. And we took huge advantages of that. I've never seen James McLean, as much as I criticise him, cross the ball so well. So we did make great use of that. And I think he's learned from his his team selection in the Azerbaijan game. He's brought players back in. So like overall, I, I see a lot of people today. I see Damien Zellini was kind of putting the boot in again saying... It was the worst performance he's seen under Kenny. I don't get that. I listened to Damon Delaney on second captains this week, and I nearly agreed with everything he said, but I don't know where he's getting this from, because I didn't think we were that bad at all. And I see a lot of people saying, like, we haven't talked about Bazunu yet. We could do a whole hour about him. But I see a lot of people saying, you got battered at home for 85 minutes, and you came away with a lucky point. What's to be celebrating there? And this is no lie. I am on Facebook, lads. Sorry. 8th of September 2011, 10 years ago, came up in my memories. Balls.ie, stick on, no, stick on more Russians. There are no more Russians. The picture, right? Talk about celebrating a battering from an average team and a last minute, a last minute equaliser. We were doing it 10 years ago. What's wrong with doing it last night? And when we did it 10 years ago, Phil, we weren't trying to play football. I think the Russians had 26 shots that night. Yeah. And, like we actually had a bit, we had a good bit about us last night as well. So I enjoyed watching us last night. Yeah, was, I enjoyed was, try, watching us trying to play. Now we were overwhelmed, but yeah. I enjoyed watching Ireland play, and they, they got the crowd behind them. They gave them something to shout about. It was a seriously exciting game. Yeah, you know, it was an entertaining game. Yeah, Serbia guys, they were big units as well, weren't they? I mean, you look at their back three. I mean, we say about the corner kick and the concession, and typically I would say I'd be critical, but look at some of the size it does. Uh, Serbian guys that were on that pitch last night. They're well savage. Six, six, two, six, three. Like you know, they're well dominant in the air. Always very physical. So and many of them, which has been said, are in, in the under twenty World Cup winning team of yeah, about exactly. six years ago. So this didn't come out of anywhere. They're a well coached team, attacking wise. You saw, I think, the Mitrovic had a volley. You could see that how well that was worked, but it was sheer strength. I don't know, it was a savage at the end of the box backing in. Lovely control chest, bang, Bazuna with a great save. But like they were a well drilled team going forward and they are they're big units like. So I like overall I, I don't think we did too bad. And I think the big thing was everybody knew going into the game they leave space. We knew what to do with the ball. We knew how to exploit them at times when we could get the ball, we did try. So if um, we were pressing we were yeah, really pressing for a winner at the end. Yeah. Which is and a long time since we did that. I was in the stadium, as I said, and the crowd were willing them to, are willing the players forward towards the end. And James Collins, I think, had a, a late header that could have stolen a win if that had got in. 
if Andrew Omovamadili had capped off what was already uh, one of the best weeks in his life with a goal from outside the area, the roof would have come off the place. Paul McGrath said on, on Twitter that it was a brilliant display from this kid and the future is looking a little brighter. And when someone like that describes your performance that way, I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to talk about the qualifiers in October just yet, but Omovamadili is his senior squad now and he will be for the rest of his career. I think sending him back to the under-21s would be an insult after those two performances. I was I was unhappy when he was dropped against Azerbaijan and you know, I was delighted to see him play as well as he did against Serbia. And look, if it wasn't for the performance of Bazunu in goals, he would have been man of the match in my book. Bazunu was absolutely heroic in goals and if there was another goalkeeper in there, if it was Darren Randolph or Cuevin Callagher, it's possible that it still would have come away with a draw. But uh, I think... Unless Kelleher suddenly starts getting a regular first-team football at Liverpool, he's going to be the first choice in goals for the national side for probably the next 15 years. After the game, I didn't see too much of a reaction, but uh, I can't understand some of the criticism that came out. Uh, I was really disappointed with Brian Kerr's words, actually, saying that we got battered for 85 minutes and came away with a draw. Look, I've actually been, haven't been too impressed with his coverage of the national side since Stephen Kenny come, uh, took over. I feel like he's been, don't get me wrong, I'm, pundits can be critical, but I feel he's been overly harsh in his criticism of Stephen Kenny. I thought that, you know, given their similarities that we've discussed before between their, their managerial history, you might have a degree of sympathy for the national side manager, but that's uh, very much not the case so far. After these three games now, Phil, I think that the fans are uh, going to be a little more accepting of maybe of results like the one I'll draw against Azerbaijan because we the performances against Portugal and Serbia have shown what the team can do. I think what look, we're we're lacking goals, but that's not a new thing for an Ireland team. What I really want to see from Stephen Kenny in October is consistency. Yeah, consistency in in selection and. We need to see 90 minutes. I don't think we've seen a full 90 minutes yet. We need to see 90 minutes start to finish. And with the ebbs and flows of the game. So, you know, or 97 it's okay. minutes. Or 90, yeah. Well, 90 mightn't do it. Might, 90 mightn't do Might do it in the Aviva against Portugal. You wouldn't know at home. But we need to see 90 minutes with the ebbs and flow of the game. So, look, if the team has, if the opposition have, have a bit of the ball, we get back for 10 minutes. We're 15. We're well drilled. We're organised. And ready to go again. We need a bit more control of games. I don't think we had a lot of control in the Serbia game for large parts of the games and that in midfield. And that was kind of down to the amount of chances they had. I think what three games left: Luxembourg away, Azerbaijan away, and Portugal at home. Is that it? So I think in a way they're he's got the four games, say or whatever. I think they're in his favour the way they're going because I think. We've looked a bit better away from home so far. We've scored two against Serbia and we scored a good goal against Portugal and we look good in both of those games. I think if we can bring that to the the Azerbaijan game and the Luxembourg game, I think there's a win there for us. And I think any sort of performance against Portugal at home will get him a bit more favour. What's going to happen after the three games, I don't know. But I think what we need to see is we need to see 90 minutes of a performance. And hopefully, I'm not going to go and say we need to see a win because it's it's not like that. We need to see a consistent performance in 90 minutes. I, I think we can. I think it's there. I think it's it's we've seen enough to see it's in them. If he get if he gets his formation right and he gets his team selection right, 
away to one of those teams, I think it's there. And I think that might be enough. Like we saw in, I know you were at the game last night, but especially on TV, it really stood out that he is the absolute backing of the fans in that in that stadium. I think the absolute backing with the, the banners and why big and the, the singing section and all that. Everyone in the stadium seems to be really behind them. So I think if, if we can get that performance and hopefully a win, I think he may get more time. But that that's the main aim, I think. 90 minutes performance and then go from there. Mark, what do you think? What have we learned from these three games and you know what improvements do you think we need to see uh, in four weeks' time? Yeah, I think Jimmy stepped upon it there at the start of the podcast. We've seen the potential. We've seen the potential of the site, and it's really trusting the process now, guys. I think it's we can't ditch this project at this current juncture. I think it definitely need, needs at least another 18 to 24 months. I quite like the approach. I quite like the ballsiness of Stephen Kenny. You know, when results haven't been going according to plan, he hasn't resorted back to our tried and trusted, hit it up the park, down the, down the flanks, and look to kind of get chances that way. He's been very methodical in terms of what he's looking for. So, like Philip said, Azerbaijan and Baku definitely is a winnable game. I think it just needs a little bit of luck. If we can get an early goal, I think you could see the confidence soar off the guys here. And then the other fixtures coming in. Portugal may have already secured World Cup qualification by then. I think they have Serbia coming up in the next two rounds. Get a win there, they're pretty much secured a top spot. So... Yeah, it would be the performance would be key for me as long as we can see progression. And plus, players are going to get more game minutes for their clubs as well. I think we had a few guys coming in that were lacking that game minutes, particularly at the start of the season. I think we'll see improvements on players' conditioning and their skills, you know, as we get to October, November. So, look, I'm, I'd be relatively confident and very optimistic after what I was seeing last night. Malumbi is a big one there for me. Um, you know, he's secured a loan move to West Brom late in the transfer window and. I didn't get the impression watching him at all in the, the three games that he's fully match fit yet. I didn't play 90 minutes in any of them. He played 60 minutes against uh, Azerbaijan. And uh, the, I don't think Potter trusts him or wants him at Brighton right now. Uh, I think two loan moves in two seasons clearly shows that. When you think that Connolly, despite whatever issues have been going on behind the scenes, seem to were described as uh, as personal issues, is still part of the, the setup at Brighton. Whereas Malumbi, who apparently is a model professional, is out on loan again. You know, I think it's it's yeah, the writing's on the wall there for his uh, for what Potter wants from him. And you'd hope that in four weeks' time, whatever amount of game time he has with West Brom, uh, he'll be in, you know in much better shape for the internationals at the start of the month. Despite the performances that have come in defence, we've only kept one clean sheet this year, and that was in the, a friendly against Hungary. Despite playing Luxembourg, Qatar and Azerbaijan, and even looking back across Stephen Kenny's reign, um, there's only been three more against Slovakia, against Wales and against Bulgaria. So, you know, it's, it's a cause for concern for a team that has as many issues with scoring goals as we do. Uh, not keeping clean sheets is is going to be a problem. If you're going to concede once, then you know you're going to have to score at least twice to have a chance of winning. And we've we've only done that twice under Stephen Kenny against Serbia and against uh, Andorra when we were behind. Jimmy, I guess the same question. What do you think the managers learned from these three games and how do you feel about the setup now? I feel, again, as I said, there's potential there. We're seeing the potential of the players. We're seeing the potential of the manager and the coaching staff. I, I agree we want to see, I think we need to see three performances. 
after the Portugal game, I thought we were going to steamroll Azerbaijan. I thought uh, the wave of optimism behind the team was there and we were going to see a performance, we were going to win well. It didn't happen and the doubts started to come back, the doubts in the players and the doubts on the manager. We rescued it against Serbia. I agree with some of the some of the reaction from pundits like Delaney saying it's the worst performance. Kerr's comments, I, I didn't see it on RTE. Apparently the RTE commentary team were to the extreme that this was mega. This was an amazing performance. Then it went to the studio. It was a, it was a bit more sober. So I, I can't, I don't know why we were so inconsistent in, in our, in our punditry, but you go back to some of our best results, like beating Germany 1-0 under O'Neill. We never should have won that game. So, you know, this isn't the first manager that's been battered for 85 minutes. I think we need to see three performances in the next game. We need a big performance against Portugal that will kind of give everyone the sense that, yes, the project is still moving forward. I think there's been too many stop-starts that have cast doubt over Kenny. Those questions will remain if we don't see more glimpses of what what might come in the the Nations League next year and uh, qualifiers, which is not far away at all. And and the other thing, some players will get minutes between now and October, but the reality also is many of them will be sitting on the bench. And outside of all of that, what has been described on places like Off the Ball, the battle for the soul of Irish football is, are we going to go for some short-term knee-jerk reaction and set this whole thing back to square one with someone new coming in who doesn't know any of these players and offers no kind of... Uh, I think it w- the point was made by Daniel McDonnell, actually. If the new FAI, in inverted commas, was to move now to move to remove Kenny, who would be just like the old FAI, which is 100 years old this year and has done very little to offer evidence that they've done anything to develop Irish football. I'll leave you on that one, Joe. Okay, thanks, Jimmy. The last three games have shown what the manager wants to do, how the manager wants the national team to play football, and it's also shown the very worst of the neglect of the game in the country. I think the overall, there's a, a lot of positives to take from the performances against the two best-ranked sides uh, in our qualifying group, but the goals that we've conceded, both to the best player, in the, arguably the best player in the world, and to a player that none of us had probably even heard of a week ago. Um, so there's just a lot of work to be done. We hope that the manager learns from his mistakes. We hope that he takes a line from Coach Kavanagh and, you know, either we, le- we win or we learn. I think we'd all like to see us winning a little bit more. I'd like to thank Mark uh, and Phil uh, for joining me again and for Jimmy to come in as our, our special guest on the podcast. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Hawkeye Psychic. You can follow Phil at the bottom of this pit of football. Or you can follow Jimmy on uh, Pogma Gold. We'll be back soon to preview the qualifier against Azerbaijan and the friendly against Qatar and the, ch- the changes we would like to see the manager make for those two games. We hope you'll join us then. We'll talk to you soon.